Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, Australia. Thanks for listening. I'm super excited about today's episode. I get to sit down with a good friend, Paul Milbourne, who is head of risk insurance at Findex Australia and New Zealand. So we get to have a chat about how to work and build up accounting referral relationships. So Paul's got a unique position where he gets to work with many, many accountants and fostering and building those relationships to build up referrals. We have a good chat about some things to think about, some things to maybe avoid. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. But before we get started, we can't do this podcast without the help of Zurich and OnePath. So I want to start by saying thank you. Zurich and OnePath are your partners in life and are also proud supporters of the My Risk Advisor podcast. Thanks for joining me, Paul. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me. No worries. So let's just start off this conversation with just a, a bit of understanding about your journey in financial planning. What does that look like? Yeah, Phil, I finished uh, high school and did a graduate program at AMP in um, in their communication side of the business. Um, as I say to some people, when AMP was a great place to work with a great education hub to, to, to teach you and give you some good grounding. And after about five years there, I went to a suburban accounting practice in um, in Melbourne where I worked as, as a para planner and up to an associate advisor. Um, and that was kind of, I guess, the, the, the start of my journey before moving into to full advice. And how big was that? That firm that you joined, the suburban firm. Yeah, so it was um, a, a two-partner accounting practice with um, with with a couple of offices. Which um, is a long time ago now, Phil, but probably about one point five or so million dollars of fees, and maybe I think three or four other accountants and a few administrators and, and bookkeepers. Yeah, cool. And you started there to be an advisor. Yeah, correct, correct. So I started with uh, with, with that business. The principal um, had a, a fair media presence at the time, and 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 that was a fairly good lead generation into the business. And as he said to me in my job interview, I have a well-run accounting practice where I, I do the meetings and palm all the work off. And similar, I want to build a financial planning business. So um, these are all the things I'm really good at. And um, I don't do administration. I don't do paperwork. Um, and if you do all of that, I'll teach you all about strategic financial planning and, and fee-for-service financial planning and tax planning. Um, and those are probably the really key things, especially the tax planning piece that really set the next, um, where are we now, 15 years of my career up. Yeah, right. Great. And then tell us what was the move to Findex? So now you're with Findex. Um, what was the reasoning to move there? Yeah, so there was a bit of a, an eight-year gap in the middle there, Phil, where I um I, I became an international financial advisor, living in Malaysia, and, and working throughout Southeast Asia. Um, that was in a completely different environment. It's probably more like 1975 Australia, um, and by the time I left, it might have been 1995 Australia, um, and you know today in 2022, it's probably more like 2005 Australia, yeah. and um. As part of that, in the, about 2014, I think it was, we set up an Australian authorised rep business. And by that stage, I, I was married and had children. And in 2015, um, we sort of, myself and my wife, put a bit of a plan together to come back to Australia and start our own business just like yours. 
Um, yep. That was the purpose of the Aussie authorised rep business. But I had some epiphanies that largely turned out to be true as it turned out that things like education standards were going to substantially change, licensing fees were going to go through the roof, compliance was going to go through the roof, um, and it was going to be a hell of a lot harder for a small business owner to um, make a fist of it and pay their bills. Um, so... In 2015, in Malaysia, my clients are mainly oil and gas workers. Oil prices had gone lower for longer again. And while my international business had a reoccurring income, so it kept us fed, um, I was really focused on building the Australian business. And it became more and more obvious that I needed to come back to Australia for family reasons um, and started reaching out to connections here because... The reality is, I guess, those formative years of circa 25 to, to 35, I'd been overseas, so I didn't have a network in Australia. Um, and you might have seen on my LinkedIn, I talk about the power of your network a fair bit. And uh, so I'd been referring a bit of business into a, uh, a firm in Queensland called Elson Partners. And um, I'd reached out to Elson Partners to kind of say, hey, I want to come home, got a job for me and, you know, we'll tuck in what I've got. And they sort of said, well, um, if you come to Brisbane, yes, but we're not in Melbourne yet, Paul. So they uh, they, they, they connected me up with um, someone else at Macquarie Bank, who um, is well and truly plugged into all the right firms around Australia. And to keep a very long story short, I um, I came back to Melbourne in December 2015 to meet up with a few firms and I was having a coffee with uh, with, um, with with that person. He kind of said, mate, great businesses that you've spoken to, but have you heard of Findex? And I sort of said, no. And he said, have you heard of Centric Wealth and, and Crow Horworth? And I was, yes. And he goes, well, a, a couple of guys um, who you might not, not, not know called Pat Dieter and Michael Wilkins, they've got a coffee with you at 11 o'clock in the morning at 600 Burke. So you better hop on the tram and head down. Um, Heck. And uh, so I did my, my relevant due diligence on a tram ride from 101 Collins to 600 Burke. Um, and by about 20, 20 past uh, 11, I'd sh- uh, shaken hands with Michael Wilkins and Pat Dieter and um, walked outside and, and rang my wife and said, yeah, we're moving, uh, we're moving our small little Aussie business in with, with Findex. I start in six weeks and I guess you and the girls will move over when the school year finishes. Yeah, um, great. And so it was a, a genuine sliding doors moment. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So you were overseas for how many years were you there? Just over eight years. And and I guess what were the, some of the biggest takeaways building a business overseas? Gee, we could do a whole separate podcast on this, Phil, because yeah. um, you've got probably same, same, but different experiences in building your business. But coming from this well-structured, regulated uh, environment in Australia where you're respected for, for your occupation into, I guess, what was traditional life insurance sales at the end of the day. And, you know, I was lied to substantially, to put it nice and and, and simple, about what I'd be doing and how I'd be doing it and how I'd be remunerated. Um, So I had had substantial life lessons, first of all, about who to trust and how to trust people um, and and to ask the same question 20 times. Um, And second of all, my communication skills. Um, I was a really technical um, a power planner, associate advisor at the end of the day, really technically yeah. sound, um, probably the complete opposite to what I am today. Um, but my very first meetings in May 2008 when I was by myself went between three and four hours. Um, mm. And I think you can probably agree clients don't want to be sitting with you for three or four hours. Yeah, as as, as good looking as you are, Paul, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to be sitting with you for, for that long talking about insurance, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, so yeah, communications. I mean, I think that's kind of, I wouldn't say underestimated, but I think, you know, people think about how do we gain all this technical experience, technical knowledge, 
And like I talk to my team and, and just say like, no, the like I get really nitpicky on how we communicate and the words we use. They're so powerful and so important to really be thoughtful about our words uh, in our client meetings uh, because they can portray so much meaning just from saying the wrong thing or or, um, or saying the right thing and, and not in a sales way but just making people feel comfortable and feel empowered and educated through the process. Um, just the way the way we talk is super important. You're spot on. I mean, it taught me to have structure for my meetings, to be prepared mm. for my meetings, um, to know what was important, uh, and, and to weekly, uh, the biggest tip I was given was so what. The customer is always asking so what, so you have yeah. to continually answer the so what for them. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I think, you know, gone are the days of these sales conference where it's like, oh, you've just got to sell the pen, and how do you sell the pen, and all these things. <laughs> but it's, but it's more important to like, how do we make the clients feel comfortable and empowered to make a decision, a decision that's really important on insurance Um, and and that's really kind of what that communication, it's not about sales, it's about that communication. Yeah, I love that word empowered. I use that all the time with my my team and my clients as well. Um, Mm. We're we're just helping them make a decision about what's important to them to protect and what they're willing to pay to protect it. Yeah, exactly. So, for those listening out there who don't know who Findex is, it's the first time hearing about them, what's Findex's model, business model? Yeah, so it's pretty unique and different in the Australian marketplace. So, I guess the key thing I tell everyone first of all is we're not authorised representatives. We're employees of Findex and we're representatives of, of the business. So, what does that mean in English? Um, so, I'm going to keep it simple here for you, Phil. You're an authorised representative of an AFSL. So, if you decide to change AFSL, for example, you've got to go and refact find all your clients um, before you can give them new advice in its really simplest form. So, as representatives, Findex own the client. They own they they've already met the know your client obligation, and and so we're able to bring. I guess if I didn't come to work tomorrow, a new Paul can come in and continue that relationship on. So that's, I guess, as a grounding point for financial advisors and and risk advisors, that's probably the key differential first of all. But in terms of the business itself, it's the largest provider of integrated professional and financial services in Australia and New Zealand, or I think the tagline now might be Australasia. Um, So I guess the elevator on that in in really simple terms is Findex have about 3,000 staff across 110 offices in Australia and New Zealand. We look after about 200. 50,000 mum and dads uh, across one of our 15 or so different financial and professional services businesses and about 50,000 SMEs. Um, On my side of the business, um, we have about 120 or so financial planners in in Australia um, and another 10 or so I think it might be in New Zealand. We have 15 risk-only advisors in Australia and five risk-only advisors in New Zealand. We look after about $17 billion of, of funds under advice. Um, I don't know how much debt our mortgage broking business does, but it's a fair bit. Um, we have a general insurance brokerage as well. And on the risk insurance side, we look after about 70 or so million dollars of in-force premium um, and the risk specialists themselves write you know, about $5 million of new business premium between the 15 or so. Yeah. So, yeah, a small, small mum and dad shop is what we're saying, is what Findex is. <laughs> yeah, exactly, so, Phil. <laughs> real exactly. small business, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Look, but it's interesting though, Phil, because, you know, uh, our strong spot as a business is, is, is regional Australia. 
and where ultimately, if you think about it for a second, where where the banks aren't anymore, and if you go back even further, where AMP, National Mutual, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, used to have lots of agents. Um, so in a lot of these regional centres, um, we are one, or if not one of the only choices for financial services. Um, yeah. So in terms of, I guess, the risk insurance side of things, we, we probably look after about a thousand or so, give or take, genuine mum and, uh, mum and dad clients a year. Yep. Um, and by you know, virtue of where a lot of our mortgage broking is centred, a lot of those first homeowners and younger wealth accumulators come through that channel. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess the the main reason I wanted to have a chat to you today was just to talk about how you work with accountants. So how many accountants in, in the business? I reckon there's about 1,500 accountants, give or take, all up. Yeah, so, so that being said, a lot of your work is to work alongside those accountants and see if there's opportunities and see if there are clients within the business who do need insurance. Correct, correct. So, uh, when, 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 when Financial Index, uh, I guess, acquired the Crow Horworth business about eight or nine years ago now, it, it rolled out a, a family office model, which was to bring the family office to, to, to everyone, whether it's businesses, high net worths, or, um, or, or your genuine mum and dad. Um, so I guess what underpins the whole, I guess, relationship with accountants at the end of the day is that financial serv- uh, fina- family office offering stool and the fact that we're able to service, um, I'd suggest almost all of um uh, of their financial needs within within our business. Yeah, yeah. And so how, you know, touching on working with accountants, so all the people listening, um, we want to kind of get a good sense of like, you know, what makes accountants tick, what what do they hate? So from your learnings, you know, you've been doing this for a number of years within the business working with the accountants. So what are some some of the um key takeaways that I can learn with better working with accountants? I'll probably start with, I was really lucky when I joined the business six years ago um, that one of the pioneers of our industry, Terry Brain, was um, w- was working in the business and Terry had built extremely successful um, risk specialist practices from the early 1970s, um, primarily out of accounting relationships. And I guess the knowledge and insight he was able to pass on to me at, you know, what was then probably 45 years in, uh, in, in the industry doing that was pretty powerful. I think the key thing that we we often forget is um, accountants by nature are proprietorial. Um, they've worked really hard to to get this client and to genuinely be at the trusted advisor level. And, you know, if they're going to leverage and hand off this relationship and i.e. endorse you or I, Phil, um, they're running a very real risk that we don't do the right thing and that client leaves them. And given just how, I guess, um, competitive the accounting uh, landscape is and how hard they have to work to keep and service their client, you know, it actually is, uh, you know, a, a really big thing to sit there and go, well, I've gonna, I'm going to trust this other person to do an extension uh, of, of my relationship. So I guess the first thing when I talk to any of our new risk advisors or anyone else that joins a business really is to understand that, one, especially if they've been around a little while, the accountants, they've seen us come and go. Um, and whether it's, you know, someone like yourself, Phil, knocking on their front door saying, how about do it? let's do a JV or myself, who's in a much more structured corporate world. Um, they've seen, whether it's ourselves, a mortgage broker, a GI broker, they've seen us come and go. And the reality is, to call a spade a spade, they've seen some of us who, um, uh, you know, 
uh, I don't know if we can swear or not, Phil, but they're dickheads sometimes. Um, <laughs> and you know, and, and they've, and so it's really about creating that trust with them that when that that, that they know you're going to do the right thing. Yeah, it's already assumed that you know your job. Um, you actually come empowered that you know your stuff. Um, and remember, they don't know what they don't know anyway, so they're going to assume you know it all regardless of whether yeah. you do or not. But it's about handing over that baton. And the key piece, I guess, to that, and, is, and this is what most people don't do well when they receive the referral, is they don't keep the referee updated and, and what's going on. Um, and so we call them key relationship managers at Findex. And I coined the phrase when I joined that the KRM is the most important person in our world. They're, most, they're more important than the client. And the reason I say that is because if I keep the KRM engaged and informed the whole process, then I'm automatically going to give their client the Mercedes-Benz service. Um, mm. and, and, I, and I'll explain that in a minute. But what that means is I'm already ahead of 99.9% .9 of anyone else doing any of this with them because they're not good at the feedback process. So I always, and this is important, um, so whenever I and, I and my team gets an introduction, we always talk about, you know, hi, Phil, thanks for introducing me to Paul. Um, looking forward to connecting with them. Hi, Paul, I've called, uh, Phil, I've called Paul and left a message or I've engaged him. Either way, you know, I've now booked in a meeting. Um, I saw them. They're fantastic people. This is the next step. And you, if you follow my bouncing ball here, we're keeping them informed every single step of the way. Yeah. Um, because it, it, I already said that they know that you know your stuff or they, they, they think you know your stuff uh, and it's not their area of expertise. Whether you do or don't, they're not going to really find out anyway. Um, what's going to set you apart is your consistent feedback. Um, and that's really, really important, right? Because at some stage, you're going to get a decline or a loading or you're just not going to be able to get that person on risk. Um, yeah. And it's no different for a mortgage broker, for example, but you're not going to be able to deliver on it. And you'd much rather have delivered an amazing customer service experience um, and to then tell them, oh, I can't help your client and here's the reasons why, because they'll believe that you're still great at your job. Yeah, um, yeah. as opposed to just taking the referral, never talking to them again, and then not delivering on an outcome. It's just assumed that you were like everyone else and, and couldn't do the work. So I guess to me, the most important thing is once you've had an opportunity is to just give them consistent um, feedback through the whole entire journey. The good news yeah. is once you've kind of done it a few times, because you will slip up at some point, you will forget to send them that email or whatever it might well be, they actually don't mind because, it's, you know, they know that you're good at your job, Phil. They know that you're a good operator um, and that you're looking after their clients. You've moved in a, into a position of trust fairly quickly. That's right. And and are the particular types of advisors, that, uh, sorry, accountants that you look at? So, the, you know, the younger ones that are growing their business or the more established uh, accountants, are there particular types that you like to target, I guess? Uh, it's an interesting question because we have everyone from grads through to senior partners that have been doing the job for 40 and 50 years. Mm. Um, I'm, I, probably, I mean, the thing, with, if we're talking out here to a wider audience, the reality is not everyone's going to gravitate to what you do, first of all. So you've kind of got to, you know, cast a net wide um, and then from casting the net wide, work out who's going to be on your bus um, and potentially who's going to be on your bus quickly and versus who's going to be on your bus that's going to require a bit more time and a bit more work. Um, and then how how are you going to do that? Um, for, for, for most of, in our business, given the way the Crow Hallworth accounting practice was put together, which ultimately was, you know, 
s several hundred mergers and acquisitions of largely regional accountants coming together. A lot of the older partners have seen us, um, especially if we go back that, you know, to that AMP and, and National Mutual story. Um, so a lot of them have been to, let's call it relevant education seminars and may have come across us in their 20, 30, 40 years of experience. So they do have a bit of a a place in the back of the head, so to speak. Um, for the younger ones, they're not being taught this at university at the end of the day. And, and, and so it's a bit different. So I always coin it until you've bought it, you can't sell it. Um, yeah. And I use that with estate planning a lot. And it's the same thing. So with the younger accountants, what we really try and do is, is get them to understand why they should be protected and hopefully go and take out a personal protection package through through one of the advisors. So that way they've been through the process um, and they're able to articulate, this is what I did and the reasons why I did it. Um, yeah. So that's usually step one. For the older uh, accounting partners, they've usually been through the process and, and actually have a, a relevant protection package in place. So they, they're usually sitting from that position of empowerment. The next thing is don't use our words, use theirs. So risk mitigation. Yeah. Um, life insurance is just a word. Um, key person protection is just a word. Income protection is just a word. Risk mitigation is what these guys do every single day. Um, yeah, they help create structures to, mit to mitigate risk, to mitigate tax. They give advice around mitigating, you know, risks, taxation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, using their words is really important. And again, I go back to that "so what" analogy as well. Um, and often, when we were allowed in offices, um, we would have town halls in Melbourne every month, and I would get to get on my um, platform about every three months and pontificate um, around why we're the most important service line in Findex. Yeah, and, yeah. and the reason being is, you know, there was, four, there was about four hundred staff in our Melbourne office, and if you asked every single one of those people, they would tell you the same thing: they love their client because they do. They yeah. all love their client. They also believe they do the most important job in the business for their client. But you talk to the same thing of um, what would happen, Phil, if your favourite client's husband, wife, spouse, business partner, employee, major shareholder called you up and said, oh my God, you won't believe what happened, but it's going to be okay. And yeah. that's what we, what we talk about uh, a lot because that's that that's the inflection point and whether you're an accountant a mortgage broker financial planner that's the inflection point where you can either turn around and say it's going to be okay because i introduced you to phil thompson and i know he looked after you or you're scrambling to try and work out what's happened and probably a really good example is findex of just uh, i guess its marketing campaign is called your business is our story yeah, and there's a great one uh, around um, out of our Colac office where it's the local football club, you know, gun on baller, you know, mid mid twenties, and he purchases his first home, and the mortgage broker says you need to go and see our our, our risk specialist, and you know, his his home settles, and he's a self employed chippy, and um, he does his ACL. Um, and obviously, you know, can't work for what a good six or so months as a chippy, with um, while you, while your knee's getting um, fixed up, and his income protection paid out. And those are the kind of things that are really powerful. And you go back to the accounting stories because one, they love their clients, and two, they want to see make sure their clients are going to be okay. And I guess for us, especially in that regional area where we walk past our clients every day, to be yeah. able to look them in the eye and say, you know when it went really bad for you, buddy, we were there to make, you know, to deliver on our promise um, because the outcome for that young guy would have been, you know, a GoFundMe page to keep his house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, my, my experience to date has been, I mean, to be fair, I haven't 
um, gone down the path of trying to approach too many accountants. And my father-in-law is also an accountant, um, <laughs> which which is an interesting kind of uh, relationship there. But I, I guess my experience has been um, because uh, historically I've always, especially without any facial hair, I've looked like a 15-year-old. And and so that has always been a little bit of a barrier. Um, the, the other thing that I've found difficult is um, I often find – that accountants feel like they know everything about what we do and they've got a big ego about it. And like when, you, when you know, I've got a self-confessed massive ego myself, we often can, can clash in, in those um, moments where um, – so I guess, you know, just, just touching on that, if someone's tried it before and gone and it just hasn't been successful, um, what's your advice to me in terms of going, is it worth just saying, well, maybe they're not the right – you know, centre of influence for me. And that could be the answer, by the way, Phil, because there's plenty of them that aren't the right centre of influence. I'll probably start with, there's a great book out of America called Story Selling for Financial Advisors. And I've read that probably 10 or so times over the last 15 years um, because it it brings you back to the same thing. But for me, with um, any of the centres of influence, story selling so you know talking through and i talk often to them their practice phil so you know tell me about your practice um you know oh you know i'm making this up obviously but we're a two-partner accounting firm paul we've got um another you know five or, or six staff oh that's fantastic and how much do each of you bill blah 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 um so you start if you start to unpack their business remember everyone likes talking about themselves Mm. Um, so if you start getting into unpack their business a, a little bit and what's going on, you know, what did your clients look like? How many ITRs do you do? How many SMSFs do you do? You know, what does your quarterly BAS lodgements look like? Get them unpacking their business, what their what their client looks like, what their ideal client looks like, what their goals. It's almost a fact-finding meeting. But what you can then yeah. do is you can usually find, for want of a better word, a chink in the armour there. Um, so if we keep it really simple here for a two-partner practice, you know, and you've got a couple of young kids as well and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that's fantastic, you know, uh, Phil. So, you know, what was going to happen in the practice if, you, if your business partner you know, doesn't come in this afternoon and gets hit by a car or what do you mean? And, um, well, what's going to happen? I mean, they've got 750 grand of fees and clients, you don't know them. And, you know, the way partnership works is it's all about pooling the income and, 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 and the expenses. If they're not coming in, ultimately, who's going to do the work? Who knows the clients, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you're not trying to sell them an insurance contract. You're just asking them simple questions because they've got a real business problem. Um, and they've never thought about this. Uh, at all. And then, you know, it's the same questions. You know, Phil, I know you've got two, three, four kids. Is that right? Three. Three, three girls. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's the same thing. You're going to them or, you know, you've got an awful lot of mouths to feed. Um, what would happen if you didn't come home from work tonight? Um, can you start having them actualise what their problems are, either professionally or personally? You're hopefully getting them to buy in that, hey, I have a problem. And People often go to solutions mode straight away, which is I've got a house worth a million dollars or I've got a million bucks in super or my business is worth $2 million. They're immediately trying to solve the problem. Um, Mm. And we have clients do the same thing. And it's just going back to the same thing. that's, that's, That's cool, mate, but what would happen? You know, you know, what would happen in your business if you, if, if you didn't come in today and just get them thinking about it. Um, you don't, yeah. And, there's, it might be in the Wolf of Wall Street or something like that, but, you know, whoever talks next loses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and it, it is interesting. And I think, I mean, 
you know, I'm just reflecting as you're talking, I'm reflecting on my experience and, and what I can do better and or different and what I will be doing differently. Um, and, you know, just like your client meeting, being really prepared and, and using the particular language, going back to that, that, you know, I definitely wasn't prepared well enough to, to know what the outcome I wanted from the meeting. And the outcome is not get them to be a referral partner sending five leads a month. It is, you know, just get to know their business. Is yeah. meeting one, get to know their business, what they do, what they don't, and then and then be able to understand, okay, can we work or can't we? Yeah. You know, and and get to know that pretty quickly. And then move to the next stage and what's the purpose of that next meeting and plan it out and be really thoughtful. I guess I I, I hadn't done that in the past and maybe that's why it wasn't successful yeah. um, with those referral relationships. Probably the key thing, Phil, as well, is um, we need to know what our ideal client looks like. We need to clearly articulate to them what our ideal client looks like. So, obviously, yeah. hopefully we've gone on the date with them and we've understood that we liked our first date and that there could be, you know, a, a good second date to to come. And it's, you know, it's probably not trying to consummate the marriage either on the first or second date as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but, you exactly. know, going through, you know, one, two, three dates before you propose. Um, yeah. And, and then making sure that they're, I love that word, you know, I use it all the time, you know, empowered. How do you refer to me? You know, you now we know that you've got my ideal clients. Um, you trust me. How do you now, given you're going to be talking to you know my ideal client every day, how do you then refer that ideal client to me? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I'm not right. talking about filling in an Excel spreadsheet, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but I'm talking about you know sitting there. Well, I guess you know for your case, it's largely wealth accumulators. Um, yeah. You know, so you know, hey, when you are sitting there talking to to, to people that fit this particular profile, um, let them know that it's really important that you know um, that they look after you know their spouse and children, for example, because I think probably in most of your cases, you've got probably, you know, young families, one person working full-time, one working part-time or not at all. Yeah, um, that's right, or, or even pre-kids and just buying a massive house um, yeah. that's in that's, first home buyers. They've got yeah. plenty of debt these yeah. days. Imagine um, yeah, the same one. Hey, look, yeah, the family income's eight grand right now. It's fantastic, but your mortgage is four. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I guess, I mean, uh, you know, I know if I was listening to this podcast, I'd say, well... Great, Paul. You're amazing at centers of influence and working with accountants. But you know, you work within a business that own accounting clients, and so you know, it's pretty easy to go get go get referrals from those accountants. So you know, talking to that listener, um, are, are you working with any external accountants? We are, Phil. We are. But I will say that first of all, I mean, you can take the horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So even though we have, uh, let's call it a, a structure and process behind it and, and KPIs and everything else, you still can't force everyone to, to, to go to the well. Um, yeah. So there is, you know, you've still got to massage the relationship. But to answer your question, yeah, so Findex also have um, a, a business called Unison, which works with external accounting practices. So your genuine suburban accounting practices um, throughout Victoria. Victoria and, and, and some places in New South Wales, and we provide those other services to them. So, you know, whether it's financial planning, um, mortgage broking, general insurance, risk insurance, um, and they also get to tap into the specialist services, so, you know, if they have a GST query, for example, or SMSF technical work. Um, so, I work with um, very closely about five of those firms. And, and how do those firms work? You know, one concern with referring to a business that does everything is, well, will they just eventually take the whole client? Yeah. Um, and so, how do, how do you work with those firms in, in 
you know, helping them and encouraging them and saying, hey, that's that's not our business. Our business is just to support you. Yeah. So I always run the method of uh, don't bite the hand that feeds you. But that was, that's a Paul rule, not a Findex rule. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the relationship is ring-fenced. So um, we can't cross-market certain services to those clients and equally because it's a relationship um, that that in this case, I guess, you know, I have with those five particular firms personally, but then beyond that, you know, this business called Unison has with those with those accounting practices, um, you know, we know what we can and can't do and what the rules of engagement are, so to speak. Um, and so, and I guess, I mean, you know, just because everyone would say that. Regardless yep. if they're gonna if they're gonna take the clients or not, everyone will say, "Well, they're ring fence, they're they're yep. your clients." Um, but but for my business, being a risk specialist, only doing risk, it's much easier to say that. Yeah. Hey, we're not going to do it because I I don't actually do accounting or I don't do financial planning or, or whatever it is. Um, but within your business, that that's obviously going a step further in in building that trust and making yep. sure that you know. 100% our systems and processes says we will never market to these clients. Yeah, it's um And so I guess how how do you do that? Like are you are you showing them your your systems in terms of how you actually protect that referral? We haven't had to go to that level to be honest, Phil. Um I guess that because there's enough people on the bus already when other people are joining the bus, you know, you've got a track record of doing the right thing. Yeah. Um but I guess beyond a, beyond a contract um, that says what we can and can't do and what they can and can't do, um, and we have you know a, a sophisticated CRM as well that allows us to, to 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 manage to manage that piece. I guess to answer that, it's pretty clear that we own you know, in the risk insurance side of things, we own that risk insurance client like you do. But that's what we own. We don't own the right to, you know, market our our accounting and tax services to that to that person or our self managed super fund services. Some of the accounting firms do mortgage broking, so it's similar again. We we won't do mortgage broking either for that yeah, client. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and again, just in that fact finding um, meeting, it's a matter of going. You know, what do you guys do as as an external business? What do you do? What and what do you need us to do? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, and then so if someone is either starting out a new business or has an existing financial planning business, um, you know, what are some things that they can do today to really start, um, you know, building up that confidence to then go and approach accounts? And, and what, what would you say the best way of going about it is just spamming people on LinkedIn? Is that the best way to do it? Definitely not. Definitely. Okay. Not. All right. I'd love right, to I'll ask stop. you that, mate, because you've obviously built a great little business that you've, you know, you took an existing heritage business, so to speak, and, and reinvented it. Um, yeah, it's a good question. We we did a little bit different where we've got like very few key referral relationships, and and I will say this hand on heart, it's it's because of a relationship I built five years ago, ten years ago. Um, and so meeting people with no expectation of an upside in the future, um, but just, just making friends, um, within the industry. So I got lucky. Those friends, you know, built significant businesses of their own and we, we basically piggyback off them. And I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying that I very much got lucky. So I haven't gone out there, sourced referral relationships fresh and it been successful. I've tried a little bit, but, um, I was a bit lazy and, and haven't really done that successfully. So, you know, looking forward, that is a plan of mine is to go, how do I build better, you know, more referral partners? Um, and so that's where I'm thinking is how do I, you know, what, what's the next steps from here? I'll probably answer it a little bit 
differently maybe in so far as I guess I came back to Australia six years ago now and started at Findex about six years and two weeks ago and as I said my formative years weren't spent in Australia at the end of the day for that 25 to 35 year old mark so I didn't have a strong network in in, in Melbourne or, or Australia and I'm a really big believer in the power of of your network and so I guess an upside for me was joining Findex which had a network I could plug into but that's just I mean you've still got to go and do something about it at the end of the day um, if you don't do something about it, then, you know, it'll just be a wasted opportunity. I'm a massive believer in what LinkedIn can do for you um, in terms of building your personal brand. Um, but probably it starts with understanding what is w- what business am I in? What does my ideal client look like? Um, we're going through that phase at Findex right now where we're trying to move our risk specialists um, into the business succession space to be true risk specialists. Um, and the reason we're doing that is, you know, the mum and dads, as we know, commission 60%. Um, you know, I don't know what your costs are, Phil, but it's, you know, probably about three or so grand to onboard a client, give or take. Um, yeah, it's which, a hard business. Yeah, which means largely speaking, you're losing money on each new client and you're hoping to to make it up with, with, with the trail. So it's really, in my mind, about building what does my ideal client look like and how am I going to, to, to service and, and source them? Um, LinkedIn's really powerful, but you've got to invest in it and I know everyone says that no one actually knows the secret to cracking the code but I think it's you know keep it simple you know post daily connect with the people that you want to be in their ecosystem add uh, comment on on their ecosystem so there's plenty of accountants out there you know typing all sorts of weird and wonderful things connect with them comment Um, because what's what's what goes on below the surface in in LinkedIn that's the the stuff you don't see that's the inbox you get from someone that's been following you for two years you've never once come up on any kind of analytic yeah yeah. that's where you get the traction from so in terms of I guess what I did at index is I was really uh, aggressive, so to speak, from day one for connecting with anyone inside the Findex business. And I was always yeah. posting content. So, and it's, this is no different for a business like yours, because all I've done is just treated Findex like 110 accounting firms that I was going to go out and try and build a, a brand name in. And were, you, and were you thinking strategically about like actually sitting face to face and having com- coffee with people? And, and did you, was that like a weekly thing? You know, once a week, I'm going to meet someone new or, or um, a monthly thing? Like, Definitely. Were you strategic about that? Definitely, definitely. Still am, Phil. If I could do, if I go back to my old boss, where I, where he said in the job interview, Paul, I do meetings, I don't do admin. That at twenty three years old, all I wanted to be was him. What do you mean? No, mm. don't, don't do anything. Someone else does all that work for you, and all I do is talk to people all day. What better job could you have? And so, uh, you know, I'm well, I'm back out in the city now, catching up with people face to face, connecting, and you know, just again the same things. You open up ask those questions I always kept I'm going to call it a diary um, so if I was in in my car for example I would know who I need to call and why I need to call them um, yeah and it's just touching base so you know for someone like you Phil hey how are you mate what's going on how's the kids how's the wife etc 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 how's your business going you know you know oh that's fantastic what you know what what pain points do you have um, obviously I'm not trying to sell you anything Phil so it's a bit hard to to narrow it down but you start to open those open-ended questions up and, and the key thing for me is in May 2008 I my very first five meetings I did with clients which I said earlier yeah. took three to four hours and they were horrible. Yeah. Each one of those people became my clients. 
Um, okay. The first one didn't become a client until 2013. They just signed to get out of the door? Is that what happened? They're I think just like, so. just you, get you, me you, out of you here. Could, you could be right. You could be right. <laughs> I think my communication skills substantially improved over that yeah. time. But it was the first one was 2013 and the last one was 2019. But it was back to that same thing of um, having a reason to call people, to keep in touch, to keeping notes. And it's no different with, with the COI. So um, if I hop in the car, for example, my wife hates it. Like, you know, we might leave early on a Friday to go somewhere and that three-hour drive is me sitting on the phone talking to someone about something um, and I leave yeah. I leave notes so I know what your practice, you know, our two-partner firm, you know, one sixty, one's forty. You know, got succession issues, etc., 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 and always trying to add value to them. I guess you know, given I'm connected across our business at the end of the day, so I get to see a bit of what's going on in Perth to a bit of what's going yeah. on in Central New South Wales, etc., etc. So, in professional services, staff just a massive issue right now, and it doesn't matter whether you're in accounting or. or or, or it doesn't matter if you're in accounting as in Perth, Launceston, Hobart, Melbourne or Sydney or, or, or Orange, Armadale, Dubbo, Gundawindi, everyone actually has the same problem. Yeah, um, yeah. And you can't necessarily add solutions to it, but you can you know, maybe say, hey, when I was talking to Phil yesterday, here's what he's doing to, yeah. to, to try and um, navigate it. But I don't go to the opening of envelopes, um, but I am strategic as well about where I might go to press flesh. Um, don't go to the opening of envelopes. I don't, what does that I, mean? I don't go to the opening of envelopes. I, I don't go to everything you get invited to. Got it. Um, Got it. Yeah, yeah. But I am strategic about where I go, who I'll mix with. Um, yeah. I was wondering why you didn't come to my daughter's you know, five-year-old <laughs> birthday party. Um, I was wondering why you didn't come to that. <laughs> well, it depends on who was there, mate. But um, <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You know, it's a bit too, you know, you, you want to be, you, you do business with the five people, or, you know, you, you, you emulate the five people you're around the most. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, making sure I surround myself with the right people. Um, and again, they're in that, that, that sphere because a bit like your comment on the door opening, that's what happened to me at Findex. Um, yeah, as yeah. our business has grown and evolved, um, Paul, the advisor, has been connected with a lot more of the people that have his ideal clients. Um, yeah. And we sit here, you know, six years later where I don't know where my phone will call, but I'll get two phone calls today from someone Either either internally or externally doesn't matter, um, and and if it doesn't sit in my ideal wheelhouse, I'll know where to put it. But it's just a constant investment of time. That's it, and yeah, and I think I think that's what you know. In in the COVID era, it's been a really strange environment, building out networks and you know having to do that digitally instead of you know face to face. But yeah, I think that's kind of. Um, being the key success for my business is building out those networks um, and is something I'm thinking about moving forward is I was talking to my wife the other day saying, actually, let's just do dinner parties. Let's just invite like people we know in our kind of broader networks and they may not be in financial services at all. So, they're not, you know, it's not bringing me a monetary benefit but let's just do dinner parties because we'll build out our networks. That's and, a cracking idea. You know, the person we know will know someone else. Yep. Um, and, and also, how can we you know, the people we invite can connect with each other and build out their networks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're, we'll we'll start it. I'll, I'll have you over one, one cr- day. I've never, that, um, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I got it from a TV show I watched um, doing – this guy's in real estate and he, yeah, he has dinner parties like a weekly. Now, that's too hardcore for me. Like I – 
I, I barely put up with human beings at the best of times. So um, it's going to be like a, you know, you know, six times a year or, yep. or once a month. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, you know, thinking about how do we build out our networks? Cause that's at the end of the day, that's, that's important, um, is to build out networks and may not bring me personal benefit or my business, but it may help someone else in my networks meet, meet someone else. It's amazing. Uh, whatever you give to the universe, it comes back twice. Um, mm. especially when you're not expecting it. Yeah. So this has been a great chat. Uh, I know I've, I've sat here the whole time just thinking about, okay, what am I going to do different? How do I, you know, how do I do things differently in my business? Um, so constantly been thinking about, you know, w- you know, strategically, what am I going to do different? So I really appreciate you coming on board. Last two questions. First of all, when do you get a chance to do your email? I was preparing for this given I've listened to other podcasts, Phil. I'm shocking, mate. So I probably have a three-stage triage process. Um, I have a folder for Saturday, so I'll call it not important, don't want to read it, don't need to read it, or just, I'll just, you know, if it hasn't, it's moved to Saturday. Yeah. Um, and it's something I'll do at some point over the weekend. Um, I try and clear, I try and, so in a normal world, I would uh, spend 45 minutes on the train in the morning. I get I get the stopping all stations train deliberately um, yep. and I clear everything else out in the morning um, and then similar on the way home, try and clear it again. The last couple of years have been really bad, to be frank and honest, where I did some Microsoft Analytics and I, and, and I reply within 11 minutes apparently. Yeah. Um, so I've taken them off my phone now yeah, to try yeah. and get some, some normality and try and run to that same thing of, um, you know, if it's a quick, you know, usually if it's an internal, I'll call it management thing or, or with our client services are all over the country as well and are remote. So if it's somewhere, I try and reply to it straight away. Um, but anything else, I try and bookend end of day um, or start of day. And if it's not something I need to put my brain to right now, um, I'll just file it off for the weekend to come back to. Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting. The reason I ask it is because, um, yeah, emails are the bane of my existence or were, have been and, you know, I talk to people who are like, oh, I look at it twice a day and I'm thinking to myself, I get yeah. 200 emails. Like, yeah. how am I doing that? Like, and so I have just hired an EA who clears out a lot of the emails I don't need. So it's it's so completely changed my work life. The problem you and I have got is we play Hamlet and move the scenery. You know, we've, we, we, we we give advice and have clients and we've also got staff and, and teams to manage. So it becomes mm. hard. Uh, my previous life was exactly that, mate. When I was running my own show, um, I had an EA who did everything for me. It was the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah, I've just yeah, they're, they're on board, so they're they're still learning and understanding. But even just the fact that I get in the morning and look at my emails inbox, and you know, there's thirty in there instead of one hundred and fifty. Um, that in and of itself is is um, yeah, been a huge change. All right, next question: interesting hobby that you have? Um, I don't think I really have an interesting hobby, mate. Um, I become addicted to golf post first lockdown and if I could somehow not work ever again and play golf or go to the driving range every day that would be the perfect perfect world great um, if what's the, your handicap I don't know anything about golf mate, so what yeah you tell me a number I'll be impressed I'm going to give you the excuse bad. first of all I didn't pick it up till I was 37 years old got it uh, it's a it's it's now come down to 39.1 okay great um as I said, I don't know anything about golf. So, like, golf's one of those games. Like, I've always naturally been pretty good at sport, except for golf. It's just like I don't get it. it, it it's, are you meant to zigzag down the fairway? Because that's what I do. Yeah. Um, 
it's uh, a difficult game. I, uh, a, a friend of mine, Saint, you know, said the same thing. That's it's completely different trying to trying to hit a ball that's not moving to football, cricket, basketball, or whatever, yeah. where you apparently where the ball's moving everywhere. Yeah, yeah, which is is very strange. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. This has been a great chat. I know I've kind of got me thinking, and so no doubt it's been a huge value to everyone else in the My Risk Advisor community. Beautiful, Phil. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.